This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Unlimited Progress, The Grand Illusion of the Modern World. And the author is Dr. Dennis Knight Hefner, and Dr. Hefner joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Steve. Good to have you with us. I'm going to read a few things you've written to kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about. Your book, Unlimited Progress, The Grand Delusion of the Modern World. You say this, most people have a bias towards seeing the world as they would like it to be. It might be for some purposes, however, to know the world as it actually is. And, of course, reality can be scary. You're talking about progress. Uh, there's most misleading ideas permeating the modern world is this concept that progress can almost be unlimited. Well, that's not true, is it? It's not quite true. That's something that most people don't seem to quite realize, and it's becoming a very, very fundamental problem uh, in our world because uh, you've got to keep your feet on the ground and uh, understand the way things really are or you're going to make some bad mistakes. Well, we talk about science. We talk about political science. Uh, you have a, a background in, in science, that's correct. Um, I studied mathematics and uh, physics and engineering in college, and then I decided to go to medical school. And, of course, medical school preparation for it uh, requires a fair amount of science. So I, I do consider myself having a science background. Well, when we talk about political science, I, I don't know if, if that's the right term anymore. I don't know if there's a real science to politics. It's a misleading term. <laughs> yes, it is a misleading term. That's for sure. Now, why do this book? Why go down this road, Doctor? Well, I think that um, the book can serve um, uh, people in many ways in sort of thinking uh, about the future, whether it's short-term future or a longer-term future. Uh, everybody sort of tries to plan for the future a little bit. It's, it's, it's ingrained in us. It's necessary for us to plan ahead a little bit. And in order to um, uh, plan for the future as best one can, and it's often difficult or impossible, at least in the long term, you've got to understand what the world is like right now, what reality uh, really is in order to try as best you can to plan for the future. And I think my book, even though my book doesn't really predict much about the future, I try to give people some understanding, a better understanding of what uh, what the world is like really now so that they can then make their plans for the future as best they can. So how did we become hooked on progress, this addiction that seems to, at least in our own minds, we think is never-ending? I mean, you, you, your book kind of addresses the history of it, right? Yeah. 
Well, I think it's it's mainly because of science and technology over the last, uh, well, particularly 200 years. Uh, and uh, our, our um, uh, lives, our society, our governments, uh, the way we live has been influenced so much by the tremendous advances in science and technology that I think science and technology, because of all the tremendous progress that it has had over the last couple of hundred years, it has infected uh, society in general. In other words, we sort of expect the same sorts of, same types of progress in uh, society in general, in government, uh, in political activities, in economic activity, economic growth. We expect progress to be just like it has been in science and technology. And unfortunately, uh, that's not quite true. Yeah, we always uh, want, well, at least you hear the the premise that we want things better for our children than we had it. Oh, yes. That's, like, yeah. You know, like there was something wrong with what we have. <laughs> there isn't enough or something. I don't right. know. <laughs> and, of course, that's the American dream. That, right. You know, our children will have it better than we have, and that's, that's our American dream. And, of course, there's real value in that kind of thinking. Obviously, you, you know, that drives uh, free enterprise. It drives capitalism, and, and all that is critical to uh, progress in many areas as well that are needed. I mean, of course, we, we wouldn't, none of us would want to go back to the old days when uh, medicine or the medical uh, practices were so crude. Right, right. Who I would agree. want to go back to that? I mean, nobody would. <laughs> right, I agree. And uh, uh, we probably can, you know, maintain uh, and maybe even increase our uh, worldly uh, benefits uh but it's just not going to be as uh as as great and as rapid as it has been and in some areas uh we have to start getting used to the idea that um, you know even though our children if we do things right they they may be as well off as we are or almost as well off but they may not be better off right uh well, you have some uh, interesting titles to some chapters. I'm looking at them in, like, The Digital Delusion of Neurophysiology. <laughs> yeah. What, well, what are we talking about there? Well, that's one of the my favorite subjects in that it has sort of colored a lot of uh, thinking in some areas um, throughout the last half century, and when I say some areas, in, in, in the way that people conceive the brain uh, as working and uh, whether artificial intelligence can eventually make our lives greater and greater. Uh, unfortunately, even though most people throughout the last half century have thought that the brain probably uh, it works on a basis of digital information processing, just like computers do. And people have felt that computers uh, can have an analogy to to the human brain. Unfortunately, the brain works on a different basis. It's not a digital information processor. 
And uh, that makes a whole lot of difference in terms of what one can do in terms of uh, understanding the brain, controlling the brain, and uh, making advances in artificial intelligence. There's been a lot of misconceptions uh, over the last half century. A lot of news about the economy right now. Of course, we hear the term, we want to grow the economy. This is so important. This is so critical. It's like we're obsessed with that. If we're going to recover from this current recession, what about all this growing, growing talk? Well, unfortunately, and especially for our, our children, uh, it, it's just not going to be able to be, we're not going to be able to grow our way out of this sort of problem, at least uh, easily or to the extent that a lot of people uh, think we're going to grow. In other words, uh, I think growing is, um, I think there is some evidence that growing is starting to become more difficult. We can sort of see that now in the economy. And it's probably going to become even more difficult in the future. I'm not going to say that all growth in all areas is going to shortly stop. But overall, I think it's going to be harder to continue economic and social, political growth and improvement. And if we don't realize that and take it into account, uh, we're probably going to make some very bad uh, political and governmental missteps and, and, and judgments that may cause more harm than, than good. There's something called, that you call, deterministic chaos, uh, chaos theory. It's uh, something that you say that we need to understand in order to understand the world. Well, I think it's very, very important. Uh, and most people have heard of chaos theory, but they don't know a lot about it. And it's a very difficult subject to to try to understand. But I think that uh, our uh, social, political, governmental systems, our society in general, is um, a, a, a very complex system that has some chaotic types of behavior. Now, when I say chaotic, chaos theory does not mean that things are just totally random and totally screwed up, but it means that the very complex system uh, is rather unpredictable and even more important that tiny little influences, influences that you wouldn't think would make much difference, can have huge impacts on the way the system works, particularly a little farther down the line, a little farther in the future. So little minor uh, political, social decisions, governmental decisions, if the... Uh, the social political system is somewhat chaotic, like I'm pretty sure it is, little tiny decisions can have huge consequences. And if they're the wrong decisions, they can have hugely adverse uh, effects on the function of the system. So chaos theory is important for people at least to have some grasp, some idea of its implications. Now, we hear the term uh, progressive liberal today, and we hear uh, this, this group advocating a better world where everyone uh, helps each other and, and this utopia kind of, of existence. What's your view of utopia? 
Well, uh, utopia has been, the idea of utopia has been influenced over the last three centuries or so by Newtonian physics and the idea that everything can kind of be determined and controlled. Uh, We have felt that we sort of live in a clockwork universe. That is, everything, uh, if you have enough data, you can see that it kind of works perfectly and deterministically, and if so, certainly you can control such systems if you have enough information. And in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century, there's a very important um, uh, sort of uh, philosophy, a uh, uh, scientific philosophy called logical positivism, uh, which sort of... uh, uh, developed this idea, and it was the idea that even language in our culture uh, could be sort of controlled and influenced toward a perfection. And in the early part of the uh, 20th century, the political idea of progressivism, uh, the progressive philosophy, was sort of built on these types of ideas. That is, a governmental bureaucracy could learn to control our governance uh, toward a perfection, and this is indeed a delusion. It can't happen in a uh, chaotic system like our, our social systems are. And so these utopian ideas that we can get close to, or even a attain perfection in our social and governmental systems, it's, it's, it's a delusion. And uh, people should remember that the word utopia in the original Greek um, uh, means no place. That's the literal meaning. <laughs> and uh, No place. <laughs> yeah, no place. And so utopia will forever remain nowhere to be found because it's no place interesting my goodness (laughs) well what would be your advice uh, just some kind of closing thoughts we've got a couple minutes here what would be your advice to young people today as they look toward the future what kind of a perspective do they need to have on their future well they need to be republicans to start off with. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, my, my son's going to call you right away and argue with you. <laughs> because the, the Republicans uh, are, are, tend mostly to be conservative, and a conservative political philosophy now is more important than ever, uh, because conservatives tend to be the ones that think a little more realistically about the world, uh, they apply some brakes to the runaway governmental machine and brakes to prevent us going down the wrong tracks at ever-increasing speeds are, are more important nowadays than they were before. So um, I think that uh, young people need to really uh, think about which political party they want to be associated with, and hopefully most of them will realize that a conservative philosophy is best, and therefore they'll have to be Republicans. And if they don't like some aspects of the Republican Party, then they're going to have to get their hands dirty and try to change the party within 
but uh, it's certainly going to be the best party for them to, uh, to be associated with. The title of the book, Unlimited Progress, The Grand Delusion of the Modern World. Any closing thoughts, Doctor? Um, I just hope someone uh, has uh, got the energy to read my book. Uh, it's a little difficult in places, but I think anybody who is a thinker, who reads uh, nonfiction, is interested in the world, uh, and that includes a lot of people, I think they'll find something valuable in my book. You say you're a pessimist. Uh, someone told me that a pessimist is an optimist with the facts. <laughs> I, I think that's right. I think I, I, I can have a little bit of optimism in that uh, things may not be as bad as in the future as they could be. If we do things right, we can maybe muddle through. <laughs> so that that's my optimistic view. If we're lucky, we can muddle through. Muddle through. All right. Well, tell us how to get your book, Dr. Hefner. Well, it's published by iUniverse, and um, uh, it can be uh, uh, obtained uh, through them. But, of course, it's available uh, other places, too, on Amazon.com and uh, in Borders bookstores and, other, and some other bookstores. Well, thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it very much. That was Dr. Dennis Knight Hefner. He is the author of his book, Unlimited Progress. The Grand Delusion of the Modern World. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus, NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Welcome back 
to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Word of Faith Preachers, How Misinterpretation of Scripture Might Lead You Astray. And the author is Joe Pahota Jr. And Joe joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Joe. How you doing, sir? Good to have you with us. And... Not only are we going to talk about this book, Word of Faith Preachers, we're also going to be talking about your first book, Holiness, Can the Church Do This or Not? And then a subtitle, and if the church can, how come it seems so many in the church aren't doing it? So you've got real questions about what the church is doing in relationship to Scripture and doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. In fact, in your book, Word of Faith Preachers, you talk about four main heresies, and I'm reading from what you have written, why they are out of touch with sound doctrine, and you mention what these four are, tithing, the prosperity gospel, our Christian gods with a small letter G, and Jews mm-hmm. don't need to accept Jesus to be saved. So we're go- we'll, t- we'll touch on a couple of those. This is very comprehensive. You obviously have done a lot of uh, thinking and studying. Uh, what motivated you to do all this? Well, on the Word of Faith Preachers book, sir, it was really just, you know, watching, you know, TV evangelism, just watching a lot of these preachers on TV. And particularly as it pertains to, you know, them asking for money and, you know, support of their ministries or to support different programs on TV, which I don't have a problem with, you know, giving the ministries and giving the church. And I, by all means, I, I totally applaud, you know, people giving to churches, the finance ministry and so on and so forth. Um, but some of the some of the things they were saying in order for people to get money, I mean, you know, it was just totally, you know, not in, in line with sound biblical doctrine. Like if they give, you know, $1,000, they're going to come in covenant with them that, you know, God's going to pay off their bills or they're going to come in some money somewhere, some kind of way, or whatever, and I'm like, wow, where does the will of God, you know, fall into any of this kind of stuff? And it just was like, after watching all these TV preachers, and all the, and of course I have such a, well, it's good for me, I have such a burden and passion and to really want to bless people and help people, I just, I was so burdened by this, because I'm like, wow, these, there's, you know, thousands upon thousands of people that are giving to these churches and these ministries and these, these TV programs, and I'm just like, wow, you know, all with the expectation that they're going to be blessed, and there's no sound biblical basis for it. Um, and some of these preachers are still preaching it because they've been preaching it for years or whatever. And, and just to give you a little background on myself, I come out of the Word of Faith uh, movement. So I'm very familiar with, and I talk about this in the book, I'm very familiar with a lot of the stuff that they preach and teach. And, and I used to preach it and teach it myself, and then, but the Lord led me in another direction to show how really devastating and how hard um, it's just totally not in line with sound doctrine. How really devastating and hard it can really mess them, mess them folk up. Well, um, you say your first book, Holiness, on, uh, can the church do this or not, was really influenced about your tour in Iraq. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, that one was basically because, you know, I was really, you know, kind of, you know, the, the whole, I can't say, the Holy Spirit gave me a lot of questions regarding that. I was in Iraq. And the Lord allowed me, blessed me to pastor the gospel service over there. And after Bible study one night, one of the preachers came up to me and was like, Hey, sir, you know, you really encouraged me because you're the first, you know, man of God I've seen in a long time not chasing a skirt. And I complimented him and I said, Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. But then the Holy Spirit later on asked me a whole bunch of questions like, If it's been so long since the brother, you know, he's seen not chasing a skirt, what is that saying about the men in the body of Christ? 
Or, you know, what is the thing about the body of Christ, period? Like, you know, in the Holy Spirit asked me, when does sin become the standard and holiness become the exception? You know, why is it when somebody's actually, you know, living a Christian, genuine Christian life for real, why is that looked upon as so abnormal? But if you're living in sin and, and, and doing all kinds of mess, that's like, well, that's just how we are, because after all, nobody's perfect. And, and it seems like we're just making excuses as to why the church isn't doing it. And, you know, after talking to a lot of people, I ask people, well, how come you don't go to church? And the number one reason that people give for not going to church is because of all the hypocrites in the church. So I say in my introduction, you know, you know, I'm tired of that statement being true. So it starts off as an, as an indictment against the body of Christ. However, though, it doesn't end that way. I, I tell people, you know, what I, I identify the problem, and then I say what we can do to fix it, and then I really give practical application at the end of the book to show how, you know, the church can overcome all these problems. So, yes, it was definitely birthed in Iraq, no question. You believe that people have a responsibility, Christians have a responsibility to study the Bible for themselves instead of just taking, you know, the pastor's word for it or an evangelist's word for it? Right, most definitely. So they would benefit a lot from that kind of study and to take a college course or two? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I applaud anybody to... You know, either, you know, if you can't afford going to a seminary, then that's fine. But, you know, at least give some kind of, you know, biblical foundation and biblical doctrine, you know, by all means, you know. And that's even biblical. The Apostle Paul said in the Bible, you know, you know, talking about the Bereans, he said they were, you know, more nobler than the Christians in Thessalonica because they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. They just didn't take the Paul's word for it. They said, no, we're going to go back and check this thing out. And Paul said they were noble. He complimented them for that. Um, but a lot of people, you know, particularly in the Word of Faith movement, they just take what their pastor is saying as if it's, you know, directly from the mouth of God without really, you know, studying the Scriptures to find out whether or not they're saying is true. But unfortunately, if, if, they, if they've never been to seminary, if they, particularly if they've never taken a, say, biblical interpretation class, they won't know that their pastor is saying the wrong stuff because they don't know how to interpret the Bible themselves because they've never been taught. So this book, in my second book, Word of Faith Preachers, I tell people how to study the Bible and how to do, you know, how to properly do biblical interpretation so people can know how to read your Bible, not just read it, but study it. So therefore they can say, hey, hey, wait a minute, that what, what they just said on TV, that's not right. That's not what the Bible's actually teaching. They're taking Scripture out of context. So I teach people in the book how to do that. You know, so I take what, I, what I've learned in, in my biblical studies, you know, taking college courses and stuff, and I give that to the reader to help the reader best understand not only what they're hearing, but he'll also help them to interpret the Bible better themselves. You make this statement, many Christians still believe that we have a sin nature and therefore are sinners, and then you say, you don't believe that. Right, exactly. Yeah, and this is something that I, I will get to their credit. I, I got that from the Word of Faith movement. That, that's one of the definite doctrines that come out of the Word of Faith. And this is actually one of the doctrines I think the Word of Faith got right. Um, which is very controversial. A lot of people will probably not agree with me on this, but, you know, I, I kind of liken it to, you know, if you ever get pulled over, you know, for, for speeding, you know, on, and they're, you know, going down the road, and the way, you know, just hitting the brake is not going to make you stop the car. You know, if, if you're speeding, what you got to do is you got to take, the, your, you know, your foot off the gas. Well, to use that analogy, you know, if I'm sitting, you know, if my foot doesn't get off the gas, I'm going to keep sinning over and over and over and over again. So in, in this case, your foot is the sin nature. So in order for us to stop sinning, the sin nature has to be done away with. Otherwise, we're just going to keep sinning over and over again, and Jesus basically died in vain. 
You know, because Jesus came to redeem us of our sins, but if we can't stop sinning, then either one, Jesus has to keep dying over and over again, which is, you know, blatant heresy, or two, you know, when the Bible says, be holy for he's holy, if I still have a sin nature, I can't, ultimately, I can't live holy, neither can any other Christian either. So I say if we do sin after we become a Christian, it's because our mind has not been transformed. We haven't been transformed into the image of Christ yet. So I believe when we get saved, our sin nature goes away, i.e., you know, our foot's being taken off the gas pedal, in this case the sin pedal, and therefore our sin nature is gone, and what we've been, what's replaced it was the divine nature. So we now have the nature of Christ, which it talks about in Second Peter chapter 1. So I don't believe Christians struggle with a sin nature. I believe what we struggle with is an untransformed mind that still thinks like the world. So the more, you know, we continue to grow in God, your mind will eventually start to think like the things of Christ. And therefore, you know, sinning less becomes much, much easier because the sin nature has been taken away and your mind is starting to think like God now instead of thinking like your unsaved, you know, unsaved self before we were, before we got saved. Tell us your view on tithing. I believe tithing, that's a very good question, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, sir, because that's also a very controversial topic, and this is huge in the Word of Faith movement, but not just in the Word of Faith, but there's Baptist churches and many Christian churches that preach this. Um, I am against it. I'm for New Testament giving instead. Um, most churches, when they preach or teach tithing, they're going to come out of Malachi 3, you know, well, man robbed God, but you have robbed me, you know, and you have robbed God in tithes and offerings. So they define tithing as 10% of of your gross income. Now, some churches will, you know, will go back and forth between gross income or net income, but usually what they say, they all agree that it's 10% of one's income. The problem is Malachi 3, if you look at it, it's talking about food and everything like that. Tithing in the Bible was never money. And I'm just going to say that again, because most Christians don't know that. Tithing in the Bible was never money. So to give 10% of your gross income to the church is, is a blatant lie. It's just totally not true. And I, I devout the first 60 pages of Word of Faith Preachers. The first 60 pages of that book talks about the tithing doctrine of itself. And I show how Malachi 3, chapter 3, does not apply to New Testament believers. It does not apply to Christians whatsoever. So when God says, you have robbed me, he wasn't talking to us. He wasn't talking to New Testament Christians. He was talking to the Old Testament Jews under the law of Moses, which we all know, you know, we don't live under the law of Moses as far as, you know, because we live under grace now. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you know, we can just stand and do whatever we want to do. But the tithing law in Malachi 3 does not apply to New Testament believers. So to answer your question really short, because, again, it would take me two hours to really talk about all this, but I'm just going to say that tithing doesn't apply to New Testament believers. What we should do instead is give what we can, you know, give according to the way the Lord has prospered us. Because, again, you can't give a million dollars if you don't have a million dollars. But if you can give $10, $100, you know, give according to your ability. Give according to the way the Lord has prospered you, and not on some 10% law known as tithing. Tithing in the New Testament doesn't exist at all. It's mentioned in the New Testament, but nowhere in the New Testament is it commanded for us to tithe. And therefore, that's probably one of the biggest, you know, heresies or lies in the body of Christ today. What about this belief that Christians have concerning prosperity, that if they're living according to what they believe, then they should prosper. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I believe in prosperity, but I have a different definition of it. My definition of prosperity is having a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing God's will for your life and doing it. That's my definition, because you could be poor or rich or whatever, but if, if you're in God's will, then you're prosperous. 
Um, now, with that being said, I don't have a problem with Christians being wealthy, and I say this numerous times in the book. I don't have a problem with Christians being wealthy. You know, if God blesses you with an idea and people are buying it and people are, you know, you're making millions of dollars off of it or you, you have your own business and it's flourishing and, and things like that. So I don't have a problem with Christians being wealthy. But what I do have a problem with is, you know, teaching people because, you know, we're Christians, you know, because, you know, we're, we're children of the king, we're royalty, and we, we start to go around acting like, you know, that we're entitled to this. Like, you know, when we become saved, when we become a Christian, we automatically, you know, are, are coming into the money. You know, wealth should, you know, we should expect it because, you know, Christians are automatically supposed to be wealthy because we're saved. And that's just not true. Um, I don't, again, I don't have a problem with Christians being wealthy, but to, to, to have this idea or this attitude of I now have a self of, uh, a state of entitlement because I'm a Christian now, and this entitlement guarantees me prosperity financially. Now, they'll go and define prosperity as, you know, prosperity in your health, prosperity in your finances, prosperity in your jobs, in your relationships, you know, having wholeness in all areas of their life. That's how these Word of Faith preachers define prosperity. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, you know, I wish that were true. I mean, there's Christians today that are, you know, dying of cancer and dying of diseases and are still in wheelchairs or whatever. So just because we're saved, it doesn't exempt us from being sick from time to time. Just because we're saved, it doesn't exempt us from the recession that we just had or are still in. I mean, just because we're Christian, it does not exempt us from hard times. As a matter of fact, the Bible says clearly in many times, it says those who live godly shall suffer persecution. And the Bible says many times of how we're supposed to endure and rejoice when we fall into many trials and tribulations, because we are going to have them. So just because we're a Christian, that does not exempt us from any of that stuff. Um, but that's what they basically teach. They say, well, since we're saved, since we're a Christian, that prosperity is just supposed to follow us, you know, like we have some, some sense of entitlement. And that's just not biblically true at all. And what about Christians being gods with a small g? What What is that all about? Basically what it says is, and this, this goes back into the prosperity thing too, is according to the Word of Faith preachers, they believe as a Christian that you're basically, you know, you're gods with a small g. Meaning, in the book of Genesis it says how, and God said, let to be light, and there was light. So he spoke it, and therefore, since he spoke it, it automatically, you know, the, the light that never was miraculously came into existence because God spoke it, which is true. Well, since they say we, you know, once we get saved, we now come from God. We go back to the way Adam and Eve had it before the fall, before they sinned. So consequently, what they believe is, by the power of confession, just like God said, let there be light, and there was light, as a Christian, we can say, let there be whatever, and whatever has to happen because we spoke it. Meaning, since we come from God, we have the same creative ability in us to speak things into existence just like God did. So when God said, let there be light, and there was light, we can say, let there be a promotion of my job, and the powers that be in the atmosphere or in the air or whatever have to do what we say. And basically what they say is, is you know, we're, we're, we're small gods, you know, or therefore we're small little messiahs running around the earth. Just like Jesus was on the earth, we're like little messiahs or little Jesus is on the earth, just like Jesus was on the earth. And they believe that we're little gods with a small lowercase g, um, and we can speak things into existence and do everything God does because we come from God. Um, well, that's just total, total heresy. I mean, we're not little divine beings running around the earth, and we don't have creative ability in our words. Now, granted, I do believe in the power of positive confession. I do believe it's better to speak positively as opposed to negatively. I do believe it's better to, to think more positive as, as, as compared to thinking ne negatively. So in that instance, I do give them credit for that. 
Um, I do believe in being a positive person in, as a whole and speaking positive things. But, you know, to command things as if, you know, the powers that be in the atmosphere have to do it as if we're God, it, it's, it's blasphemy, quite frankly, because we're now putting ourselves equal with Jesus or equal with God, which unfortunately is what a lot of these preachers do. Uh, one preacher said, you know, I'm not saying you have a God in you, I'm saying you are one. Um, and that's and that was Kenneth Copeland, and he, he believes that, and he says that, and that's one of his main teachings is, you know, you don't have, not just the, you know, you just don't have the Holy Spirit in you, i.e. God, you know, you don't have God in you, but you are one. And that's a prominent theme or prominent teaching in the Word of Faith movement, and that's section three of my book, and that's just one of the heresies I come up against very vehemently. The title of the book, Word of Faith Preachers, How Misinterpretation of Scripture Might Lead You Astray. The author is Joe Bahota Jr. Joe, tell us how to get your book. Uh, well, so there's many ways you can get it. Um, it's on Amazon.com, it's on Borders.com, Barnes and & Nobles, and BooksAmillion.com. They're all there. Softback, hardback, or, you know, even if you got a Kindle, it's on Kindle as well. Um, so it, it, either one of those four places you can get it. Again, Borders, uh, Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, or Amazon. They're on all of them. And along with your other book, Holiness, can the church do this or not? And if the church can... How come it seems so many in the church aren't doing it? Well, thank you, Joe. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Oh, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate the time. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriended is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm-hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, 
Develop the Keys to Successful Living, The Power of Wisdom. And the author, Lydia Ante. And Lydia joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Lydia. Hi, Stephen. Good you, morning. Good morning. And you join us from... Africa. Ghana. Ghana, yes. yes. Well, so great to have you with us. And uh, this mm-hmm. book, this uh, quite a, a obviously comprehensive look at successful living. There's a lot of books out there, and I love what the title, the subtitle, The Power of Wisdom. Give us some of your background and also why you chose to look at successful living in this way. Um, I started um, schooling, I mean, from infancy at Amazing Grace um, International Preparatory School. And from there, I progressed to um, the secondary school, which I did at all levels, at Invisor Secondary School. Then I furthered um, to do the A-levels. Then I went to the Ghana Institute of Journalism, where I had my journalism and um, diploma in journalism. I practiced in journalism for quite a short while. And then I went to the United Kingdom, and there I was able to um, work. Um, started doing menial jobs because I wasn't having money to actually pursue my journalism career. So I found myself doing cleaning and, and doing kitchen poultry, and then I went to to and care. And then from there, I was able to you know um, send myself to school. Um, in between it, as I was schooling, I was you know, changing jobs. Um, so I was able to work with people with learning disabilities, the elderly, the vulnerable, the me- people with mental health issues. So um, through that aspect of my career, um, I spent 10 years in the United Kingdom, but I worked with vulnerable, vulnerable adults. And around that time, I was able to uh, liaise and see some of the communication skills that people use to pursue, uh, you know, their work. And when people are working and the way they work and, you know, the way they approach their work. Now I look at that and then I progress through um, my career and I was able to work with managers. Now I realize the do's and don'ts um, of what make people succeed um, at work, you know, in their career. Well, you talk about so, you talk about. Are you a doer or a dreamer? Uh, this quote from Conrad Hilton: Success seems to be connected with action. Successful men keep moving. They make mistakes, but they don't quit. Yes, um, in life, if you have studied, um, we all have dreams and aspirations, and um, most people will always dream. Um, they always uh, have this thing to do, but they will never put it into practice. And because they don't put it into practice, they don't get reality, you see. But those who um, have the goals, the dreams, and they are able to put it into action, they are able to uh, achieve results. So therefore, if you look around, everything around us, uh, you know, from um, the airplane to the wheelchair, even to the comb that we used to comb our hair, is somebody's idea. But we all have that ability and talent given to us individually, you know, by the creator. But some people, you know, um, are able to um, bring it forward and they are able to implement it and then we get reality. So some people act on what they have got and others just very dreaming with hope. You say... You know, uh, which, mm-hmm, which doesn't go anywhere, to be honest. You also say achievers make an effort 
to look for the right people who can help them make their dreams come true. So you can't do it alone. No, you can't. You can't. Uh, we are all interdependent. Um, and so therefore, no one is an island. Um, you will need people to be able to support you to reach where you are. Um, you know, so therefore, uh, you have to be able to be at the right environment and be able to connect with people, be able to help you. If uh, for any reason um, you can't find these people, you have to go to them so that they'll be able to help you. We all are interdependent and nobody can just, um, you know, climb to greater heights on their own. Even great leaders need people, you know, to stand on their shoulders, to raise them on a higher ground. We all need it. Yeah, we have to learn to work together. That sometimes is very difficult for some people because obviously we all are uh, human. We make mistakes. Uh, there's stress everywhere in life, but uh, we as a team can really accomplish a lot. Yes, we can, especially when you look most of the aspects of the reason why it becomes difficult for um, people to work together, to form you know, a very positive and strong and um, staff team. To be able to work as a team is because of um, communication skills. You know, sometimes the communication is so poor. You know, and then some of our behaviors and attitudes as well, um, you know, uh, make people find it difficult to, uh, you know, relate to us. So when you're looking at develop the keys to successful living, it's actually, uh, though I wrote it much uh, on the work aspect, on the work environment, for people to check, you know, themselves and look at some of their attitudes and behaviors. Um, in reality, you can just, you know, take those transferable skills and then put it in your own real-life situations. Because, uh, Stephen, remember, I've been a staff member before. So, therefore, those examples that I set in there, you know, are real-life examples and very, very easy for people to relate, you know, for them to know where they are at and how they can change their lives for the better. Yes. Well, success comes through developing habits, uh, good habits. Obviously, we all have some bad habits, but it, we really need to cultivate those good habits, right? Yes. Yes. And um, to be honest, it's really um, quite difficult for people to uh, learn, you know, good habits. But it's very, very easy for us to, uh, you know, pick, you know, negative or bad habits. And so, therefore, and develop the keys to successful living you know, um, enables people to be aware, you know, it's like you checking your levers. Uh, we've got two levers, up and down. And so the higher you go, it tells you, you know, how well you are performing. So therefore, the moment you realize that you are coming down, you have to check your levers to be able to know that, you know, there are some things that I need to change. And so people change their attitudes and behaviors. They will never, ever um, attain career success. And it's not only career success. But even our own personal lives, and, you know, if you've got negative and bad habits and attitudes that put people off, you find it very difficult for people to associate with you. And we are in a world that we really need people's skills, you know, to be able to move forward. And so, therefore, yes, um, good communication skills and um, our behaviors and attitudes is very, very vital and important if we want to see and career success, personal development, and in our own life situations. And with that communication skill, one of your chapters has this heading, your words can make you or break you. Yes. 
um, some of the um, words, you know, that we use um, when we are communicating with people, our tone of voice, our body language, um, the person that you are talking to watches um, what you do or what you are saying, or even if someone is talking to you on the telephone, uh, you know, the way you sound, they are not even seeing you, you know, but they are listening uh, from your voice to have the feel, uh, you know, of you. So therefore, what you project, they will be able to feel it, though they are not seeing you, you see. So that is how it is. And if we are not able to communicate very well and we use very, very bad language or sometimes the way we communicate, the message that, you know, we send out, those receiving the messages, they will encode it differently. And so therefore, if you are able to use negative words that didn't go down well with people, then that will be able to hinder and your, you know, career success, you know, um, having, um, you know, disrespectful attitude can show through the way you speak. Um, you know, the person doesn't have to really use, you know, um, aggressive or abusive language, but the way they talk, their tone of voice, their body language, you know, uh, their facial expression, is enough for you to deduce what they are trying to say. So our words can really make or break us. Uh, to, to put us on a higher ground towards um, career success. Along this journey to success, we're going to be rejected by others. We're going to face a lot of opposition. How do we handle rejection? Um, Stephen, in life, we all um, uh, have to learn to handle rejection. In fact, we all experience rejection one way or the other. Um, we reject people every time. Believe you me, the very day you married, you rejected most women anyway, if not all women. Uh, you know, rejection is all over the place. So um, if you are going to take it so personal, um, there are going to be big issues. We have to learn to understand that at one point in time you will say no. I mean, if someone wants to, um, you know, um, uh, right now try and cheat you in some way, Stephen, you are going to say no. So there will always be a rejection somewhere. But... Um, there are some rejections that when we it comes to our doorstep, we don't have to let it, you know, destroy us. We just have to understand that it's part of the learning process, and then we try somewhere else. You know, in Develop the Keys to Successful Living, I set some examples um, where, uh, you know, you've got a, a, a talent, and maybe you go somewhere, you show that talent to um, an entrepreneur, and the person will refuse you because sometimes they wouldn't even understand what you are trying to bring to the fore. But then you will go and show it to someone else and they will see it entirely differently. And I think I said um, um, Albert Einstein, when he was trying to create the um, the electric bulb, I suppose. So, you know, you, you I mean, you realize that he got so many oppositions coming from all areas. I, I hope I've got the name right. But yeah, it's Edison, you know. Edison. Edison, rather, yeah, I was thinking, what is Albert? It's Thomas Edison. You know, he had so many oppositions all over the place, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, he believed in his dream. So, uh, you know, the fact that someone, uh, one person has refused you doesn't mean that, you know, uh, your talent or something is wrong. Maybe they didn't understand it, but try somewhere else. So we've got to learn to accept rejection. If you are rejected, that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, you, you are a failure or you don't perform well. And sometimes you need to be rejected. You need to fail to, to start right. You know, so we, we've got to learn to handle rejection. Um, 
it, it's part of life, and we all have to understand that, yes. In listening to you, there seems to be a difference then between someone who has a dream that he believes in and and the dreamer, because the dreamer can be just daydreaming. But the guy who has or the gal who has a dream that they believe in, there's a big difference there. Um, if you have a dream, if someone is a dreamer, we've got so many dreamers all over the world. I mean, <laughs> I wish I'll... Lying a limousine is a dream. You know, you can daydream. And we've got all of them there. And then we've got people who have the dream. They believe in their dream. Everyone has it. But they won't take the necessary steps, you know, to make it happen. You know, so therefore uh, they'll end up, you know, having this dream and they didn't do anything about it. They grow old and, you know, they, they die with it. While others, you know, uh, take the positive steps forward. Look for the right mentors or the right um, support out there that will be able to help them to, uh, for them to achieve their dreams. And then they, they, they make it manifest, you know. Um, I quite remember when I was writing Develop the Keys to Successful Living, uh, you know, I just didn't know how it will go. And, um, you know, I was scared maybe, you know, uh, they won't pick the script or whatever. They will refuse the book or something. But then I believed in it and I said, you know, you know, you have to take a positive step. You know, because I've tried it on Facebook and I knew how it has worked. And I said, if people really responded to this, I believe that there is someone out there that um, this uh, book will echo positively in their lives and really change their lives for the better, you see. So, uh, you know, Develop the Keys to Successful Living just came out because of some of the issues that I saw around the work environment, people's real-life experiences, and then the responses that I got from people. You know, that made me realize that there is a gap and that people need to be filled. It needs to be filled, and someone has to do that. And that is why I wrote a book. We have about a minute left. Just one last uh, question. So when it comes right down to it, the bottom line, we, the individual, you and I, uh, when we look in the mirror, that's the person who is responsible for our personal development right there, right? The person yes. we're looking yes. at, ourselves. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Um, apparently, um, you you are, like um, Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. You know, so we are really what we repeatedly do. So if we practice positive um, lifestyles, we'll be able to, you know, get positive results. It's not always, but, you know, when we try, we'll end up, you know, achieving positive results. So, uh, you know, these are some of the aspects that I speak. And I've written on develop the keys to successful living, you know, just to enhance people's lives and change their lives for the better and they have to look at their work practices and then their own lifestyle, you know, some of the things that is weighing them down and how they can move it forward positively. And that is what Develop the Keys to Successful Living is all about. The title of the book, Develop the Keys to Successful Living, The Power of Wisdom, and the author is Lydia Ante. Lydia, how do we get your book? People can get my book at um, iUniverse.com. Um, Amazon.com, um, Buns and Nobles, Flipkart, Borders, and you can also Google um, Lydia Auntie and Associates. It will take you to my website, and on the book section, you can, um, you know, order it from there. So, actually, it's all over. 
Well, thank you, Lydia. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio all the way from Ghana. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. That was Lydia Ante. She is the author of her book, Develop the Keys to Successful Living, The Power of Wisdom. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.